0: Today's sermon text is Ephesians 3 verse 1 through 13. It can be found in the Bible and the rack in front of you on page 977. Hear the word of the Lord. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever.
1: Would you pray with me as we begin our time together in the Word? Father, we do ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would open the eyes of our heart to behold once again, and maybe some for the first time, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Would you make those more real to us, increase our faith this morning as we hear about this? We ask this for his glory and in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you noticed as our sermon text was being read, but there is a word that appeared four different times. And if, uh, if you have your Bible open, that word may even be in the heading over this section here. It's the word mystery. You can see the the title of the sermon is A Mystery Revealed. Hey, when you hear the word mystery, I wonder what comes to mind. I threw that question out at the dinner table last night and I got answers like Nancy Drew and Sherlock Holmes. Back years ago seems like decades when Becca and I were actually able to sit down and enjoy a TV series together on a consistent basis. This would be the category that we would go to. We would find a mystery, some detective or investigator or just a regular person who is inquisitive who would piece together evidence in order to solve a case, Sherlock Holmes who would take seemingly insignificant details like a stain on someone's shirt or a window left partially open and through his reasoning powers he would put it all together and by the end of the episode he had solved the mystery okay i'm guessing when most of us hear the word mystery something like that comes to mind a case or a problem to be solved Our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to talk about a mystery, but this is a different kind of mystery. Okay, As we'll see this morning, and if you were listening, this is not the kind of mystery that you figure out by your own intelligence, by your own reasoning. This is a mystery that only God can make known. And for Paul, this mystery gets right at the heart of his ministry and his message. So let's just kind of put it out there from the start and answer the question, what is this mystery? Okay, let's not bury the lead here. What is the mystery that Paul is talking about? Did you notice he, he actually gave us a succinct definition of this mystery in verse 6, okay? Okay. So here's the answer. What is this mystery that you're talking about, Paul? He says this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So there's the mystery. The Gentiles, that's non-Jews have the same eternal inheritance as God's people, those who at least have put their trust in Christ. These Gentiles have the same eternal inheritance. They're members of the same body and they're partakers of the same gospel promises on equal footing with Jews who have put their trust in Jesus. If you were here last week, Ryan unpacked a little more of what that looked like at the end of chapter 2. Okay, and you'll remember there were indications throughout the Old Testament that the gospel would get to the Gentiles. Okay, Think about the promise to Abraham. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We see something similar in the prophets about God's salvation reaching the ends of the earth. But it wasn't fully made known at that time what that would look like. And now Paul tells us. Through Jesus Christ, God has brought together Jews and Gentiles in one body. And these groups that used to be separate and hostile to each other through the gospel are united. And now they share equally in God's salvation. Okay, this mystery certainly includes more than this. But this is the surprising truth that Paul is making known to these Christians So in our time this morning, in order to help us get a better grip on this mystery and how it relates to Paul's ministry, I want us to think of this passage under two main headings, okay? Two main headings here, verses 1 through 7. I want us to think about the privilege of Paul's role. The privilege of Paul's role. He's going to kind of lay it out here for these Christians. Number two, I want us to think about the purposes of Paul's proclamation, the purposes of Paul's proclamation in verses eight through 13. Okay, so let's begin first in verses one through seven, the privilege of Paul's role. And I think it'll be helpful here just to stop and remind ourselves where Paul is when he's writing this letter. Do Do you remember that? Okay, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about this, but we get hints here and there and we know from the rest of the New Testament where he was. Was he in his home office in a comfy chair just shooting off emails? Right? No. Where is he? He's in prison. Right? He's writing this letter from prison. If you're familiar with Paul's ministry in the book of Acts, this shouldn't be overly surprising. Everywhere Paul goes, he's opposed, slandered, persecuted, chased out of town. Okay, not, not that unusual for Paul, but think about what Paul's already said in chapter one. Okay, we went over this a couple weeks ago, but even though it may sound natural for us to Paul, for Paul to be in prison, think about how this would sound to these Gentiles. He told them in chapter 1 that Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead and seated at God's right hand, the hand of power and authority, and that all things had been put under his control. And yet, here's Paul, an apostle in prison. A representative of the reigning Lord Jesus, and he's in Roman custody. How can that be true of an ambassador of the king of the universe? How can he be in chains? You can see how this might bother these Ephesians. In fact, if you look at the end of our passage, just look down really quick at the very end at verse 15. It obviously was bothering them. He says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Think also of all the spiritual blessings we've already seen in the book of Ephesians. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Paul says. All the spiritual blessings that belong to those who are in Christ. And yet, here's Paul, the ringleader of this, and he's in prison. So what gives? Well, look at verse one again. Paul has a different perspective on this. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? Christ Jesus. I'm in Roman custody, but I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm His. I belong to Him. He put me here. Don't lose heart. Rome isn't winning. Satan isn't winning. This is part of God's plan. I'm I'm Jesus' prisoner. And this isn't a negative thing. Look again in verse 2. Paul calls it a stewardship of God's grace. That's a weird way to think of your imprisonment. And your role in ministry. A steward of God's grace. He's a privileged role here. Okay, That word steward could also be translated an administrator god has this plan and paul was helping to implement it through his proclamation okay and if you're familiar at all again with paul's conversion you'll remember this wasn't paul's plan for his life right acts 9 we won't turn there now but paul is persecuting christians he's dragging them off to prison Right, he's doing everything in his power to stop the spread of the gospel and what happens? He's stopped dead in his tracks by the risen Lord Jesus. Literally stopped in his tracks. Jesus stops him. This is Paul's conversion and his calling as a minister all in one. Remember Jesus sent a man named Ananias who understandably didn't want to go see Paul. He says, I know what that guy does. I'm not going to see him, but here's what Jesus said to Ananias. Do you remember this? When Ananias goes to comfort Paul and baptize him, he says this. This is Jesus' message to Paul. Go, Ananias, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul is the point man in this mission from Jesus to the Gentiles. But he's told this mission is going to involve suffering from the very start. This is not a cushy job. You've got a great privilege, Paul, but it's going to involve suffering. Right? Which again means that this imprisonment that Paul's writing from is not an accident. It's not a flaw in God's plan. God isn't scrambling to try and figure out what to do here. This is his plan. He has ordained that the gospel would go forth, not only in spite of suffering, but through suffering. And this is still true today. As Christians, we're never told to seek out suffering. Suffering is not a positive thing. However, we are told that we will suffer in some capacity. Right, the message of the gospel has always been met with opposition, but like Paul, we can be confident that this is God's plan for it to go forth. One of the early church leaders in the second century was a man named Tertullian. He wrote a letter at one point to a Roman governor in the midst of what must have been intense persecution. Maybe there was a fear among some that this Christian movement is going to be snuffed out. But here's what Tertullian said in his letter. He said, nothing whatever is accomplished by your cruelties, each more exquisite than the last. It is the bait that wins men for our school. We multiply whenever we are mown down by you. The blood of Christians is seed." Right? Again, the point is not to seek out suffering. But here, Tertullian expresses confidence. He says, you can do what you want to. You're not going to stop the spread of the gospel. Right? In some places, persecution comes and actually wipes out the gospel. We should pray against persecution. But we shouldn't be anxious as if God's plans will be thwarted. They cannot be thwarted. Jesus is building his church and he's doing it even through persecution. Right, And just to bring this closer to home, think about the mission partners we support. Right? Their lives may not always be threatened, right, but their work is often difficult. They face dangers and uncertainties that many of us don't face. Why give money? Why pray for them? Why support them? Why not find something easier to give our money to? Because God has ordained that this is how the gospel would go forth. To all nations through trials, difficulties, and dangers. Right? And there's no better example of this outside of Jesus himself than the apostle Paul. Right? Paul essentially says, I'm in prison so that you Gentiles can hear the gospel. So that you can hear of God's salvation. And not only that, you're gonna have a full share in these gospel promises. That's why I'm here in prison. Right, that's the mystery that Paul is talking about. Right, this would have been earth-shaking for these Gentiles. We can easily overlook it because we don't often think in terms of Jews and Gentiles. But for them, this just sounds too good to be true. Right, you could see Christians in Ephesus and in other places just wondering, "Is this really the case? This guy in prison is telling us all this." And this is where Paul explains a little more about his ministry. He actually answers two questions for us that I think are helpful here. As we think about his role, one, how did Paul find this out? This plan that nobody else knew about? How did he find it out? And two, why did why did he get to hear it? Those would be reasonable questions if somebody were writing a letter like this. All right? How did he find out about it? Did he put together all the pieces from the Old Testament? Remember, Paul's a Pharisee. He knew the Old Testament way better. I'm, I, I don't know how, how well each of you know the Old Testament, but I'm guessing he knew it a lot better than almost anyone in here. Did he just put together all the right pieces? Did he do a really intense inductive Bible study and say, Ah, that's it. I'd never seen the context, but now I get it. No. Remember, this is not that kind of mystery. You don't figure it out by your own reason and intelligence or even your own knowledge of the scriptures. This is a mystery that only God knows and only God can reveal. Remember, when the Bible talks about a mystery, that's what it's talking about. Something known only to God that in his time he makes known. Look at verse three here. Paul admits this. He says, the mystery was made known to me by what? By revelation. From God. He made it known to me. God had to reveal it. It was classified information from heaven until it came to me. Paul says too, in verse 5, he says, This wasn't made known to the sons of men and other generations. Not even the Old Testament prophets knew about this. This was something new God was making known in Jesus Christ. Consistent with what he had already said, but no one could have guessed this. Again in verse 5, this wasn't only to Paul though. God also revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. Okay, so the other apostles too. It's not just Paul who knows this. Jesus gives it to his other apostles to proclaim. Just as a side note too, he mentions prophets here. Probably a reference to New Testament prophets, not the Old Testament prophets. These would have been people in those early centuries before you have a New Testament altogether. Who were proclaiming God's word and confirming the words of the apostles themselves. Okay, we'll hear more about them in chapter 4. They were Christ's gifts to the church to help establish the church. Okay, so this mystery was a new revelation given to apostles and prophets. But it wasn't meant to stay a secret. It was meant to be broadcast to the ends of the earth. In fact, Paul expects these Christians to grasp the mystery. This is not just something for him that only he can decode. Did you you notice there in verse 4? He says, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ when you read this. You have the spirit too. Don't you see what he's doing? So that, that, that would be the answer to our first question. How did Paul find out this mystery? The answer, God revealed it to him. Revealed from heaven by the Spirit of God to Paul and the other apostles come down to us in the words of scripture. Right? Initially, this is what they proclaimed and then later it was recorded. Second question. Why Paul? Why would he get access to this kind of mystery? Right? Remember again his resume. Not exactly the best. A persecutor of the church, hating Christians, dragging them off to prison. Why does he get to be the point man in bringing the gospel to the Gentiles? Why? There's only one explanation. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Only by God's grace was I given this ministry. not only his conversion but his commissioning was a gift of God's grace and a gift of God's power in God's wisdom and kindness he chose to make the mystery of Christ known through the most unlikely person right? and in a strange way this in some ways is kind of fit, kind of fitting. Paul was proof positive that god's grace could reach Anyone, even these Gentiles on the outside, Paul calls himself in verse eight. Notice the very least of all the saints. This reminds me here when I think of God's strategy of using Paul to do this, of of the way that companies often advertise things, to things to us. You think of dieting pills or you think of workout uh, equipment when they when they want to sell this to us who do they put out there as the spokesperson right they they don't get someone who's always been in tip top shape right they put out there the person who at one point was really really out of shape right they even put up the before and after pictures look at this guy And then you look at the after picture and he's 180 pounds and he's chiseled out of stone and the message is clear. If, if this works for him, it'll work for you. Right? In some ways, that's what God was doing with the apostle Paul. If I can save him, then you Gentiles have nothing to worry about. My grace is sufficient for you. And Paul says as much here in 1st Timothy 1. After he recounts his shameful past, he says this, But I received mercy for this reason. Here's why I received mercy. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Friends, aren't you grateful for examples like the Apostle Paul when you think of your own life and your own sins? Aren't you grateful for God's patience displayed in a man like this so that we can look and say his grace and mercy then must be enough for me. The king of heaven offers free pardons for rebels like Paul and rebels like us who deserve to be crushed. This this is why Paul received this ministry solely because of the grace of God. And aren't you grateful that, that this grace is not for a select group who already have their act together? It's for the worst of sinners. Paul calls himself the least of all the saints. He carried that with him his whole ministry. It's for Gentiles, for Jews, and for people like you and me. Let me just say this too. If you're here and you're not trusting in Christ, the good news is this is for you too. Regardless of your background, regardless of your sins, God's words, God's word teaches us that our sin separates us from a holy God, right? And if we die in that condition, we will be forever separated from him in a place called hell. That's how serious our sin is, right? But God has made a way for sinners to come to him. That was the message Paul was proclaiming. It's the message that's still going out today. He sent his son to die in the place of sinners. And then he raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death. Now, everyone who puts their trust in Jesus can have eternal life. The message hasn't changed since the time of the Apostle Paul. If that's you and you've never done that, I would invite you to do that even now. Even right where you're sitting. If you have questions about more about what that means... Come ask me after the service. Find another Christian here and ask them about this good news. We would love to talk to you about the grace of God offered in the gospel. This is the grace, Paul said, that saved him and it was the grace that commissioned him. We could put all of this again under the first general heading here. The privilege of Paul's role. Paul knew he was saved by grace, he knew he was commissioned by grace, the privilege of Paul's role. Let's look now at the at the second half of our passage under the second heading here, the purposes of Paul's proclamation. The purposes of Paul's proclamation. And I just want to mention three here that Paul mentions. Three purposes through Paul's proclamation that God was doing. Number one, verse eight. Paul was making Christ's riches known to the Gentiles. He says, I was sent to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That has to be one of the best phrases in all of Scripture. If you want to know what the gospel's all about, there's no better description than that. It's about the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. God wanted these Gentiles, these outsiders, to know and experience and enjoy the riches that are found in His Son. It is a good reminder too that the Gospel isn't simply a formula. Jesus isn't just a means to an end to get us to heaven. The Gospel is a message about the glories and the spiritual riches that are found in His Son, and we continue to grow in those throughout our Christian life. Because of who Jesus is and what he's done, think about all the blessings that are ours. Okay, we we got a taste of that in chapter 1. We could spend hours doing that, but just think about it. The forgiveness of sins. God's wrath no longer rests on those who are in Christ. Justification. We are declared righteous in Christ. God no longer sees us in our sin, but in the righteousness of Christ. Adoption. Right? He says in chapter one, we've been predestined to adoption as sons. He's welcomed us into His family. Peace with God, the gift of the Holy Spirit, resurrection and eternal inheritance and on and on. No wonder Paul says these riches are unsearchable. They're infinite. You can't reach the bottom of them. Friends, if you're trusting in Christ, one day you and I We'll spend an eternity and we won't be able to exhaust the riches that are found in Jesus Christ. We'll just be praising and enjoying and, in lear- and learning more and more about those riches. So that's, that's the first reason Paul was sent here. To make known to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Second purpose of Paul's proclamation here. To make God's mystery known to all people. To make God's mystery known to all people. And all these purposes, by the way, are closely related. Right? This mystery is closely tied to the riches that are found in Christ. This one is found in verse 9. Notice what Paul says. I was sent to bring to light for everyone. So again, this is not just a message for Gentiles even. Gentiles and Jews for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery which we've already defined, hidden for ages in God who created all things. God sent Paul to pro- to proclaim the gospel to enlighten people about his plan. We might call Paul's ministry a ministry of illumination. Right? His his proclamation was like walking in a dark room and flipping on a switch. Because God in his wisdom had kept this hidden so at just the right time he could make it known. I was I was thinking about this, about the surprise that this would have been as Paul illumined this. And it reminded me of when our oldest uh, was little and we wanted to get Sam a play set, a swing set. Okay, and we tried to keep this a secret. We probably talked about it some. He was so little, I don't know what he picked up on or what he didn't. But we tried our best to keep this a secret. Okay, So we waited until nap time. We had found a company that said, we can put this whole thing together, bring it in on a truck, and literally nail it down within like 30 minutes. Okay, So we tried to time it perfectly. Sam was napping. They brought it in. They put it in there few minutes ago there was nothing in the yard now there's this big wooden swing set with a slide and a fort sam wakes up we walked him over to the window that looks out over the backyard and sam disappointed us he did not give us the reaction that we wanted as is typical for him he takes after his dad i guess wasn't very excited, but he was completely surprised. He looked out there, right? What used to be just a bare spot was now a huge playset. Here in Paul's ministry, God is walking these Gentiles and all people over to the window. And he's saying, look, I've done a new thing, something you've never seen before. Something you could have never done on your own. Something you never expected. Only I could do this. I brought Jews and Gentiles together in one body. They share in the same gospel promises. I hid it for ages. In eternity, it says. It was hidden in God who created all things. But now I'm making it known to you. A ministry Paul had of illumination. He's showing people this is what God had planned all along. You, you wouldn't have known it. That's why it sounds so strange and surprising to you. But here it is. Okay, so that's the second purpose. First, Paul was sent to make Christ's riches known to the Gentiles. And second, he was sent to make God's mystery known to all people third purpose, third and final purpose. Paul was sent to make God's wisdom known to the heavenly powers. He was sent to make God's wisdom known to the heavenly powers. Look at verse 10 here. Paul proclaims the riches of Christ, the mystery of Christ and all this in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, by unveiling this mystery, God is making known his manifold, multifaceted wisdom. Okay, and notice again who he's making it known to. It's not Jews and Gentiles this time to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Okay, spiritual forces. Okay, we know from first Peter one that angels even desire to look into God's salvation. This probably has reference to demonic powers, given what Paul has already said in chapter two and what he will say in chapter six when he talks about spiritual warfare. But God's making this message known, not just to people, but to angels, to demonic rulers. He's putting them on notice. He's showing them his wisdom. They didn't know about this mystery. Right? And notice, again, as great as this is, notice how he puts his wisdom on display. Not through nature. Not through a beautiful mountain. Not through oceans. Not through some great technological advance. Did you notice verse 10 how he's making it known? Through the what? Through the church. Through a unified body of Jews and Gentiles who are trusting in his son. The church is God's announcement to the heavenly authorities that he has overcome Satan and that he is making all things new. He is killing, he has killed the hostility that exists between Jews and Gentiles through the cross. I love how one commentator put it. He said, God is his own evangelist and it is a pleasure for the church to be used in his service. The church is his message to the heavenly authorities. Look what I've done here. Friends, there's a, there's a lot of talk today. If you follow on social media, which is a terrible thing to do, but if you follow headlines about the failings and shortcomings of the church, right, and some of it is very warranted. Some of the criticism is we need to say that up front. There are many people who claim to love Jesus, but they really don't want a lot to do with the church, maybe due to some bad experience they've had. We've even got the phrase now church hurt. And again, let me just say this. Some of this is very real. We don't want to make light of abuse or um, real hurt that people have experienced. The church is far from perfect in this present age. We don't need to try and hide that. But friends, we cannot abandon or belittle the church. And I don't just mean this particular local church, although this is a part of it. It starts here for us But I'm talking about God's church spread across the world. Okay, we'll see in a couple chapters here that God calls the church the bride of Christ. Okay, I I don't get mad very easily, but if you insult my wife, doesn't won't make me really happy. That's that's a good way to get me angry. Right, but Christ so identifies with his church, he calls it his bride. Right, but this, the church, is how God is showing his wisdom to a watching world. And not only a watching world, but to heaven and earth, to the heavenly powers. Right. So this mystery doesn't just encompass humanity, it encompasses heaven and earth. This is, again, a good reminder for us. How easy is it for us, whether as individuals or even as a church, to feel like we're the center of the universe? Right, we try to find our identity in focusing on ourselves and our own stories. When what we most need is to be swept up into God's story and his purposes. What he's doing in the world. Okay, that's, that's where we find out what we were truly created for. Not by looking inward. We're a part of a plan of redemption that was planned in eternity past and that is continuing today as people of all tribes, peoples and languages are being redeemed. In a matter of decades after Paul proclaimed and wrote these words, the gospel had gone to the ends of the Roman Empire and even beyond. If you look at the spread of the early church in the first few centuries... Reaches India, North Africa, everywhere it's going. And it started with this small band of nobodies on the back end of Palestine. Right In our missions efforts, we we rightly put an emphasis on unreached peoples. Okay, We need many more people sent to them. But let's not lose sight of the reality that this gospel that Paul proclaimed went to the ends of the earth early on. Doesn't mean that every single person got to hear the gospel, but it means Christ's promise to build His church and to gather people from all nations had already started being fulfilled. Today, the gospel is proclaimed in places like Papua New Guinea, and Turkey, Uganda, and Poland, Afghanistan, and North Korea, and in all this, God is putting His wisdom on display for heaven and earth. And the good news is in God's grand worldwide cosmic purposes, he's not unapproachable to us. This is why I love how this passage ends here. Look in verses 11 and 12 as we close. as, As we think about God doing all these great things, he can almost seem unapproachable. In verses 11 and 12, it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. The same Jesus through whom all heaven and earth is being summed up, through whom God's wisdom is put on display, He Himself is our access to God. He not only broke down the barrier between Jews and Gentiles and the various peoples of the world, He broke down the barrier, most importantly, between us and God. So now we have not just access, not like we just kind of get in the back door. It says with boldness, it says access with confidence. It's not through our own godliness or good works, but through faith in Christ and what he has accomplished. Because you and I, if you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you're united to Christ by faith, we can come freely before God and make our requests known. Boldly, even, because of what Christ has done. We'll see next week, Paul uses this boldness. He puts it in action by praying for these Ephesians. But you and I have that same access today. I love, and we'll close with this, I love how one one commentator put it. He said, the church has the ear of the sovereign king of creation who listens with real interest and compassion to those who are now members of his own family. So let's just close right now by asking God to, to strengthen our faith in this reality, this access that God has given us to him through Christ. Would you, would you pray with me as we close? Father, we we are so grateful that your grace has reached us. That we have heard this gospel, that it came to the Gentiles in Paul's day and that it eventually reached us. We thank you that we have gotten to hear of the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him. Your plan is made known and that you have brought together people from all tribes and languages, all nations. And you have brought them together in one body because of what Christ has done. How we thank you for the access that we have through him. So would you now strengthen our faith in him that we might come before you boldly to ask for grace and mercy to help in our time of need. We pray this in His name and for His glory. Amen.